In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. I'm back in London. It's not Victory Monday, and I'm here with Ian Right, Right, Right. Ian, how are you, buddy? I'm a lot better than you, buddy, because I didn't just travel halfway across the world to record a podcast less than 24 hours after the Browns game ended. So for all those people out there that talk about dedication, Paul, I still can't believe you're functioning. I publicly tweeted it out. It would take me a month to recover from what you just did. So, hat tip to you, sir. Well, thank you very much, Ian. And uh, you've had an eventful um, game. You went to the Ohio State-Wisconsin game? Yeah, yeah. We, on Saturday night, uh, Chicago to Madison is about two hours, so it's nice. So, when you live in Ohio, trying to get out to those Big Ten West games can be a little challenging, you know, Iowa and Wisconsin. And so, the wife and I were like, you know what? It's Saturday. The in-laws are in town, so we had a little bit of a babysitter. So we went up to Camp Randall. We saw the Ohio State Buckeyes take on and end up beating the Wisconsin Badgers. I see way too many damn pictures of Joe Thomas in the hallways of Camp Randall. So, but yeah, great stadium, great atmosphere, great people. Honestly, super nice. Um, It's funny because when you talk to a lot of them, a lot of them followed Joe's career through his time at Cleveland because he was such a fan favorite up there as well. So like, even when you're talking to people around camp Randall, they'll be like, Oh, you're a Browns fan. And then they can tell you about, you know, the misery of, so to say of Browns football for the last 15 years or so. So it's actually kind of interesting, but good people up there, great cheese curds and good beer. Um, did you have the cheese curds? <laughs> Is water wet? Does a bear shit in the woods? It's a must. Anytime you go to Wisconsin, you know it. You have to have the cheese curds. It's just, there's something about the deep fried Wisconsin cheddar is just delicious. Did you have spotted cow? I did. I did, in fact, have a spotted cow. Um, luckily, my house is only about 45 minutes from the border. So if I really needed it, I can drive up to Wisconsin and get it. Uh, but yeah, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Spotted cow. I had some other wisconsin stuff as well there was a couple of people at a tailgate that we were at that had some local stuff that was pretty good too so yeah no all around great little night trip up there camp randall was rocking for the night game and victorious were my buckeyes uh moving on you know they're moving on to try to continue their their undefeated march to the big 10 championship and then hopefully into the college football playoff but you know, unfortunately, I wasn't able to double dip. I wasn't able to get a Browns win and a Buckeyes win. I only got the Buckeyes win. But yeah, I'm glad you're moving on from the Buckeyes because we're not a a higher state or a Joe Thomas um, podcast. We're a Browns podcast, and uh, even though you were communicating with John Joe Thomas during the game, I was actually watching the game as well. There you go. Um, however, let's talk about the mighty Cleveland Browns in Seattle. Um, Paul, I was so hopeful that you were going to get the coveted double dip win because I don't think on any of your trips to the U.S. have you ever done the two games and we've won both. Has it ever happened? 
Yeah, it has actually. Um, it was two Cleveland Brown home games. It was the Miles Garrett Rudolph game, which I'm okay. going to guess 2018. That's 2000. No, was bef- was it the year before the pandemic? Was it 2021? Yeah. No, twenty twenty eighteen. Um and then we had another game the next week and we won. So I've I've had back to back wins. Okay, so that has happened, but as we have now deduced, it does not happen very often. So yeah, they got the win in Indy last week in kind of a close game. So that was in twenty nineteen, by the way, November of twenty nineteen. And they were holding on strong, you know, obviously in the Seattle game, they got out to a a pretty big deficit there they had to overcome from and they just couldn't get it done in the end. And it was a game, though, Paul, where you're like, you feel like you should have won, but then you kind of remind yourself that their starting quarterback played and their star running back played and all their star wide receivers and everybody played. And you played with a backup quarterback. You played with a kind of a gimpy running back in Jerome Ford. It was just one of those games where on paper, the Browns should have lost by more. But damn it, Paul, if they weren't in it halfway through that fourth quarter, just trying to claw out the victory i mean you were there i let's first let's set the scene paul you drove literally almost across the entire country right a couple days ago you and jack caught up our intermediate thing so tell us how was montana coming into seattle and then tell us about the tailgating and the seattle stadium because obviously for us that haven't been there the 12th man is quite well known so before we break down this game tell me let, let me let me talk no more than three minutes on the journey um yeah, let me tell you more about the three minutes of the journey and then we'll get into our usual uh, podcast about offense, defense and special teams. So, yeah, I spoke to Jack. I went to Rushmore. We then went up, we went through South Dakota, which was a bit boring. And then we hit Badlands. We hit Mount Rushmore. We hit um, Mon- Montana. I met some Native Americans. Um, we had snow. Yeah, Montana was beautiful. And then we came across into Washington or we went to Idaho, then into Washington and Washington is beautiful as well, by the way. Um, when we got to Seattle, the first thing I noticed was the traffic. Big city, four o'clock on a Friday, the traffic was awful. It was taking us like hour to get anywhere. And, um, but Seattle, very beautiful. You got the sounds, which are like lakes, the, snow white mountains all around it no adverts very clean beautiful beautiful city to be honest um the tailgate was great one of my best one of my best tailgates to be honest uh the night before the seattle browns backers put a great evening on i was watching wisconsin versus um ohio state and i thought wisconsin had a few chances they could have done it you know they're they had a, a special team play, and I thought they could have got some more points off that. And like, anyway, I didn't really watch it too much. I was drinking, um, but a few of our listeners came up and they said they want to see hear more of me, which is really nice to hear. Uh, it's amazing when I go away the amount of people that come up and say they listen to the podcast. So um, we don't really plug our podcasts like other podcasts, but it's really nice to know that we've got our regulars. They come up. Someone said to me. We are the best Cleveland Browns podcast out there. Now, I'm sure they've had a few drinks, but I don't know. Um, it was really nice to hear. 
I think we're a blend, right? You know, we, we come at it from a little bit of the fun, jovial side that you provide and people love hearing your stories. I mean, Paul, the number of people I think that say they live vicariously through you, you know, there's the certain half that want to know how you inherited all your riches from the English British royalty. And then the other half are basically just like, this is amazing that he gets to do this. You've seen parts of the country that, you know, they hadn't seen even living here. Jack brings the analytics side, which is just a different way of thinking because, you know, growing up watching sports and football, we have these kind of preconceived notions on how we analyze the game. So Brack, Jack brings his, you know, anal, you know, analysis, so to say, and I bring a different one. So I think if you're looking for something that where you're not always going to hear kind of the same repetitive stuff and don't get wrong, there's some other great podcasts out there, you know, our, our, you know, the Cleveland Brits with our, our pal Owen and, you know, the Dogland with Jackson McCurry, you know, the, a lot of these guys are really smart. They understand the game to a different um, perspective as kind of some of the, you know, redundant ones. And if I've left other people out, I apologize. There's a lot of Browns podcasts and this isn't to take a shot at other ones. Um, Cause I think a lot of people are out there doing a lot of great work, but you know, we just try to provide something different. And when you live the tales that Paul Brown does, I mean, my wife constantly says, she's like this, this guy needs to write a memoir because people need to hear how you do it. Top tip, putting steaks and toasters. I mean, who would have ever thought of that? But, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's good to hear. And hopefully, obviously a lot of people have noticed, like we haven't been able to record as much lately with Jack doing a lot of stuff, myself doing a lot of stuff. You know, I got to keep the lights on and pay the bills. And Paul has to travel around the world all, like he does, like Carmen San Diego. But we're going to try to get a little bit more of a rhythm. I think we have a couple of guests that we're trying to line up as well. That'll be interesting conversations as well. So hopefully as the team kind of keeps oscillating back around this 500, they're going to stay relevant and uh, keep in the playoff hunt because that'll make our content a lot better. There's no doubt about that. But um, uh, I'm going to give the podcast an exclusive. The three hot questions that everyone wants to know about me. Ooh. Number one, how can Paul afford to travel across so much? Just to answer it really quickly, I spend all my money on travel. Um, any money I make, I want to spend on travel. I'm not materialistic. I don't buy clothes. I don't smoke. I don't go out for restaurants that much. I, I like takeaway food, but I don't go out and spend my money on, on expensive restaurants. So I live on a shoestring. And when I travel, I live on a shoestring. So in my head, what I spend in London, I spend in America at the like for like. So living in America or spending time in America versus UK is the same. The only things I've got to pay for is travel, hotels, and tickets for games and stuff. So if I can get the travel as cheap as I possibly can, buy the flights as soon as the schedule comes out, as cheap as I can, that's good. Hotels, I'll try and sleep on people's sofas or sleep somewhere for free. And then tickets, I try and get tickets for free. On Sunday, uh, Eric Metcalf gave me his tickets, but I gave him some money to say thank you. So um, uh, I'm not a scavenger, but I do try and do things as cheaply as possible and i challenge anyone to have my life there's no reason why you can't do it so yes paul can you confirm or deny you are british royalty yeah that's a good question i confirm i am not royalty at all i'm from cornwall but not royalty so are you related to gordon ramsay uh no connection he's from scotland i'm from cornwall there is one little story there I though does Gordon Ramsay not own a significant chunk of property in Cornwall? He does. And he does. there's a story that 
he bought a Porsche off me uh, about five years ago. Is that a true story? True story, because his, his compound, where he keeps his cars, is where I used to keep my car. He saw my car and uh, wanted it. I asked, I asked to cook with him. He said, do you want to sell the car, yes or no? <laughs> um, now that uh, sounds like a good Scotsman. Yeah, so next next thing is, what's going on with the bus? Uh, Marty and Big Willie are now driving the bus back to Cleveland, ready for uh, the Arizona game. Will anybody be documenting the trip back like you documented the trip there? No, I doubt it. Uh, but obviously, give Big Willie a follow on uh, in, on Facebook. He's a great follow. I've had a really great time hanging out with him. Full of positive energy. What you see is what you get. Uh, I know the haters said he's a smack dealer. That is not true. Well, he didn't <laughs> offer any smack to me. Uh, you got it uh, free. Any other questions you think that people want to know that I can answer on this podcast exclusively? Uh, I honestly, I think other than the fact that everybody, are, are, are you paid at all by the Browns for your content? Okay, cool. Uh, I've never been paid by Cleveland Browns. I've never been paid by NFL. UK. There's only one job I've ever taken where I've got paid for American football, and that's working with 888 Sport. But um, I never ask a Brown. I've never done anything where I've gone like, this is my T-shirt, you can buy them, or subscriptions, or... Have you ever charged a fan to take a photo with you? That was one that we've gotten before. Hello. People text me, say, can you do a video for someone? I do it all for free. But yes, um... Yeah, there's nothing I've there's nothing I've done for the Browns to make money except for if there's a charity I will then try and raise money and then always 100 of the money goes to the charity I, I don't I don't take a penny. Well, obviously those of us that know you, Paul, don't ever doubt these things, but it is kind of comical at times that people wonder. And you know what's funny is I think a lot of people just it's, it's, it's a jealousy envy thing. You know, like I see it, I'm like, boy, how nice would it be to take five days and drive across the country? It'd be beautiful, but I can just follow vicariously through you. Now, again, all that trip though. So we'll, we'll, we'll jump back into our normal breakdown of this. And if something comes up, we can go off on a little tangent, but all right, Paul, the stadium. So Lumen field, you walk in the home of the 12th man, you know, all widely known across the NFL as being one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL. A lot of that's because of the shape of the stadium. For those that don't understand acoustics, they put lids on the corners. So what happens is as the sound travels up the seats, it hits the top and comes back down towards the field. Is it that uh, loud in the stadium? It is. Yes. Um, I can't work out why it's so loud. Um, I just told you. It's the the way the stadium is is the roofs are, are are caved at the top. So what happens is the sound is then instead of redirected out of the stadium, it is redirected back down into the stadium. It's designed that way. That's not my point. It's more to do with I'm not sure if they're pumping loads of fake noise into that stadium. Some have accused them of that. Yes. When you're outside the stadium like getting a hot hot dog it sounds very quiet in the stadium um but yeah um but in the stadium it's loud yeah just to let you know it's in the middle of seattle downtown 
but it's kind of on an island. So cars can't really get into it. And you've got to walk through like, there's only a couple of get or two or three gates to get into the stadium. So, um, so it's kind of like Cleveland Brown stadium. Cause that's kind of off to the side. You really can't get cars too much into there either. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Similar in that way. So, uh, yeah. So, um, I was I had these nosebleed t- seats, but I tell you what, up there, you look right. You see the 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 dog pound of Seattle, the uh, crow's nest, uh, which gives you a lot of space around the stadium. And at American stadiums, I'm learning more. I seem to be two long stadiums on the on the length, and then on the edges, not a lot really, a lot of holes basically. Mm-hmm. Um, English soccer stadiums always like round or try and be as round as they can be, filling up every little corner they can with tickets. Um, and then they used to be like that. Like the old Cleveland Brown Stadium, the old municipal stadium was like that. They've kind of gone to these modern, they're cheaper to build. Just I'm going to tell you right now, it's with the cost of construction, they're cheaper to build this way. That's why. Yeah. So um, I looked across and you got seaplanes, you've got boats outside, you've got snowy mountains you got gorgeous trees you know you are coming with nature with seattle it's nice it it is a nice stadium was it as nice as indy no but it had the 12th man element to it the nature uh, i think it's it's definitely a, a must go to stadium in the world um But yeah, Seattle in general is expensive and traffic's a nightmare. But anyway, let's get onto our normal podcast and talk. There's a lot to talk about, about the offense, defense and special teams. Well, you were in the stadium, so I'm just going to ask you, how'd the offense look? I think today this question is too general. Ooh, I love it. We're spicing it up. Um. I felt the defense in the first quarter looked awful. It did seem that way. Considering Um, they took their opening possession, I think went eight plays, 80 yards in about four minutes and scored. I mean, it was 14, nothing before you could blink. And I thought there's parts of the game where the offense should have won us the game or was capable of winning the game for us. And I was more excited. I was. I had more hope on the offense than the defense later on in the game. That's the truth. It was. It was almost like a tale of two halves. And I will say this: it was one of the more unique games to watch, right? Because you you turn the game on, the Browns get the ball, three and out, right? And you're like, okay. And they really couldn't get anything going. They tried to run the ball. Yeah, wasn't really getting going short, quick passes. They were trying to loosen up, get PJ Walker into a rhythm. The idea is let's get out. Let's get a couple running plays. Let's get some short passes. Let's get the chains moving. So they don't get that going. Seattle then takes theirs, goes right down at seven, nothing, you know, bing, bang, boom. And this defense that we had talked about kind of forgot to guard Tyler Lockett, you know, early in the game, it seemed like every time there was a pass, it was like, you know, Tyler Lockett, then Kenneth Walker hit the big run. Then Tyler Lockett again, it was like, you know, Greg Newsom and um, was having a little trouble. We'll just say that with Tyler Lockett in the beginning. 
Well, then it's seven, nothing. The Browns go down, they fumble, right? The PJ Walker sack, and then the ball gets knocked out and boom, two minutes later, it's, it's 14, nothing. And you're like, okay, we've only had the ball for maybe three minutes, maybe two, three minutes. And it's 14, nothing. The, the game hinged on whether it was going to be a blowout or whether it was going to be a close game on the Browns response to the second touchdown. And if you remember right, Paul, they came out, they moved the ball right down the field. I mean, it was like they hit that screen pass to Pierre Strong. Then they hit that pass to Najoku. And before you knew it, it was 14-7. And you're like, okay, we're good. The offense has a little bit of rhythm going. I'm not feeling so bad about this. Then the Seahawks come down, get the field goal. It's now 17-7. Browns get the ball back, and the offense was humming, right? Boom, hit right down the field. They hit Damari Cooper. Then Pierre Strong was running the ball. Even I think that's the series that Dorian Thompson Robinson came in and hit that little shovel pass. So Stefanski was mixing it up a little bit. We get inside the Seattle red zone, and then that kind of play with Najoku where Walker's feet got all tangled. The ball gets sailed and it's intercepted. And you're like, son of a bitch. We just left points on the board. Defense responds. If you remember right, right after that interception, defense comes out three and out. Boom. They punt it away. And the offense marches right back down the field, 17-14. So you're thinking, Paul, like, all right, we've got this figured out. Then it just lulled. I mean, the, the end of the second quarter in the third quarter were just piss poor putrid both teams offensively for the Seahawks and offensively for the Browns it was just bad football it was you know we drive down you know they stall out and get a field goal because you know PJ Walker didn't see Elijah Moore breaking it was just not there was no rhythm to the game until really the PJ Walker play that we're going to talk about here in the fourth quarter so it was a tale of two halves it was it was such a unique game to watch because I just never felt like all the facets were humming at the same time. But when we came into the game and we took the lead, I actually felt that this was a game we could win or should Mm -hmm. win. And their defense couldn't cope with our running game. It felt like to be watching the game. Well, one of the reasons, though, is because, Paul, they had Stefanski had him in a very good blend of not knowing when we we're going to run and when we we're going to pass. Because a lot of times, you know, and we're going to talk about this here because it was obviously the most controversial part of the game. Everybody looked at the average and said, oh, we rushed for, you know, 3.9 yards a carry. And you're right, Paul. We were running when they expected pass. We were passing when they inspected or they expected run. Key example was when Njoku caught that screen pass and rumbled down the middle for the touchdown. You could look at the, they were fully expecting run. They sold out. Then they kind of figured out, oh shit, this is a screen. They turned and looked. And next thing you know, Najoku's running down the middle of the field with the ball. So I thought from a coaching standpoint, Stefanski and the offensive game plan really kept people on edge. The problem is, is, and I don't mean to like speak bad about PJ Walker, but he's limited, right? He's not our starting quarterback. You know, our starter was Deshaun Watson. Then the backup was Josh Jobs, who they traded. Then they tried Dorian Thompson Robinson. Didn't really work out. We just realized he's not ready yet. They bring in PJ Walker to kind of stopgap this Deshaun Watson thing. And it's just like, he's limited, right? He can make some great throws. Some of the throws he was making Armari Cooper on the sideline. You're like, God damn, that's a nice throw. And then some throws you're like, what is he doing? So it was tough, but I think the coaching staff did a really good job of just keeping the Seattle defense on edge. And I think that they were just, they were hitting the right chords 
for the good part of the game offensively. And then obviously in the fourth quarter, we just couldn't pull it out. Yeah, I think the key thing is the Cleveland Browns are the worst team this year or this season with turnovers. I think it's our... Minnesota is also pretty bad too, but yeah, your point's still made. Are we still the worst? I mean, they had like seven fumbles in the first two weeks. It was crazy. But to your point, the Browns turned the ball over. At one point, they put a graphic, I think, on the screen that said the Browns were the only team in the NFL with a winning record and negative, like the negative turnover margin that they had. So your point is still made. Thank you. Um, All right. Probably the toughest question we'll ever ask this podcast is, what we would give the offense out of 10? It's a great question, Paul. And I'm going to need input from you on this one. So we obviously went into it with PJ Walker and we went into it with Pierre Strong, Kareem Hunt, Jerome Ford, no Nick Chubb. We had Amari Cooper. We had our full slate of receivers. So do we grade this on a curve knowing that it's PJ Walker or do we grade it as if we would the same if say Deshaun Watson or somebody else was a quarterback? How do you want to do it? Yeah, consistency It is. Um, it doesn't matter how poor the players are on stats or ability. It is how they played. I would say six out of 10. And if, if we're grading it on a different scale, I'd probably say five out of 10, but I thought overall to go into Seattle, respond the way they did hang 20 points like they did give themselves a shot to win at the end. I mean, realistically, they were winning when the defense entered the field. I know it's controversial. We'll get to that. But overall, I mean, I think given the roster we went out there with, DeWan Jones getting hurt, you know, bringing in um, the backup tackle, you know, Nishki even kind of went out at one point. He was not, he wasn't 100%. So it was one of those things where you just had to make do with what you had. And I, I got to give them a six. I mean, I know they lost. I know it was ugly at times. I know there was rhythm. I just thought overall for what my expectations was going into that game, I thought six is probably where I will end up. Uh, I'm going to go with five. Um, I thought, uh, uh, and you had a good game. Mm-hmm. By the way, is this the first time on record that you, I've, my score has been higher than yours? Yep, yeah, Probably. Um, uh, look, I thought I thought PJ Walker made some great throws. I thought the Hunt, Ford, Strong, all had good games. Um, I I don't really watch the O line when I'm at a game live in detail. Um, so I can't really comment on that. How did the O line look for you? Pretty good, honestly. You know. Batonio, they were they were running a lot of quick screens. They were running a lot of movement, you know, inside. They were kind of hitting them a little out, hitting them a little in. So at times, I think people got a little handsy. I think there was some penalties that were called, especially the one I'm thinking of on Batonio. That wasn't really a penalty, but you're going to get it. I think they gave up three sacks overall. Um, good, not great. It was good. It wasn't great. But again, I've told people for a little while now, losing Jack Conklin, I know we have Dewan Jones, but losing Jack Conklin is a big deal. It is. And if Dewan was out there taking pass rush sets, it was, I'm not saying that he's not a block of clay that can be molded into something, but he had technique issues at Ohio state that caused him to give up some pressures at times. He has some things that are starting to show in the NFL. And when you're blocking people in the preseason, it's one thing when you're blocking, you know, Frank Clark's and you're 
blocking Boyamafes and some NFL guys. It's a little different. I know he went out injured, and I think eventually he's going to become, you know, a top tap half, so to say, right tackle. But right now it's not there. And I think that the Browns are doing some things creatively on offense to try to relieve some of that pressure and help P.J. Walker out. So offensive line good could be great, but I think they're doing a pretty good job. All right, um, Paul. Jack to... Conklin. Yeah, super, super nice guy. As we are as a transparent show, he's now a friend of the podcast. That is a good thing. Maybe we can get him on the podcast. I'd love to talk to him. He follows me on Instagram now. Very good. His his wife, his family, super, super nice people. So Jack's just a good guy all around. I mean, you'll never hear a bad thing about him. But beside that, Paul, you're in the stadium. It's the fourth quarter. There's two minutes and three seconds left. Okay. The Browns have it third and three. Did you expect them to pass that ball or run that ball? I need to take a step back really quickly. There's one thing I haven't really talked about. Okay. The sun. The sun. Yeah, that's something we don't see here in Chicago much. Tell me all about it. I haven't seen it in a while. It was cold in the shades. The sun came around the corner. And in that fourth quarter, it really started warming up the stadium. Hmm. So, Maybe that's why the offense or the, there was actually some points mm, being scored. Further down, I think you may not have got that much sun, but in the stadium, it was beautiful. The sun came around, hot sun on me. Felt like I was getting a tan. It, it was a key difference uh, in the stadium when that that came in. But anyway, back to your question. Sorry, I got um um yeah. Honestly, I felt that the way that they moved the ball so well that it was obvious. That we were going to go for a running back, uh, a running play. So Stavansky just basically wanted to um, be different to surprise the defense, I think. And that's why I went with it. So, do you have any issues? Because I'm, I'm going to take probably two minutes to give my take on this. And it's a little bit of a hot take. But do you fault Kevin Stefanski for the play call? Or are you like, I can understand it. I have no problem with it. Um, as a OC or a DC, it's all percentages. It's always a gamble. Every play you make, it is very. What's the word? Reactive. Oh, it's yeah. It's I'm, it's Monday morning quarterback. It's yeah, easy to make so, a judgment once you know the result, right? Yeah, I obviously. I think the safest role thing would have done was to run it, to run it, run it twice. Um, well, you couldn't run it twice. No. Well, because it was third down. So if you run it once, it would have gone to fourth down. Yeah. But then the second time, if it was a, if it, if you went two yards on the first. you Yeah. You could have gone for it on fourth down. The problem is if you yeah. don't get it, the clock stops. Got you. So it's not like if you run out of fourth down, you still get the 40 seconds. No, but, um, we needed the first down. Correct. And here's the thing. So, all right. Am Sorry, I good for, Ian, am I good for my two minutes? I've got a question for you. If we'd have got that first, if we'd have got the fourth down, would we have won the game? The percentages would have gone up precipitously. And I only say that because if I'm not mistaken, Seattle had used one timeout at that point. If I'm Correct. not mistaken. I think they had two timeouts in the, in the bay. 
I think they had two timeouts going into the two-minute warning. So I may get corrected for that. But either way, if you get the first down, you then stop them from having any timeouts. Because even if it's first down, they have a full bevy of timeouts. They're going to use all three of them on your running plays. So you're going to give them the ball back with no timeouts. If they only have two, then you're talking about two timeouts off the board. So they're out of timeouts, minus 40 seconds. So you'd be punting the ball back to them with about a minute 20. But if you get the first down, obviously you're in, your chances of winning go up a lot. You basically needed to get a first down there and one of the first down to never give them the ball back. But regardless, we're going to talk about this. Here's another question. Yeah. Could we have could we have could we have kicked it if we didn't get that um say for example we had three kick as in punt? Like a punt? No, kick it too far away. Like field goal? Yeah. Yeah, we we were on our own forty yard line. So no, you were ah. you were out of field goal range. Okay, cool. So here's the thing, Paul. A lot of times people in the NFL talk about rushing averages and stuff. Why is it that then a team running the ball never uh, does not get it on fourth and one or third and one hundred percent of the time it's because it's called the thing called down and distance right just because i average 3.9 yards per carry does not mean that every time i touch the ball i'm going to get 3.9 yards that's not what that means jack has talked about this joe thomas has talked about this running game efficiency is not having two 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 forty five two 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 forty five two 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 forty five oh the average looks great so I went back, the Browns rushed the ball about 40 times. They passed the ball about 30 times, give or take, right? On about 17 of those design runs that were about 35 of them were for three yards or less, meaning 50% of the time they were getting three yards or less on a running play, meaning just at that stat, you're talking about one out of two. How many times though at third and three, do you run the ball and not get it? Because when you're running the ball in first and 10 and you're running the ball in third and three, it's a lot different. And in saying that, the, the idea, if we're looking at which play has a better chance of picking up nine feet, which is three yards in footage, it's a pass play. It's a pass play. It's a quick, easy pass play. Also, the play started at two minutes and three seconds, meaning regardless of the outcome of the play, the clock was stopping. If it was an incomplete pass, if it was a run play, if it was a completed pass, the clock was going to stop. This was something I kept seeing. Why didn't we run more clock off? Because it was the two-minute warning. So Kevin Stefanski sitting there and saying, okay, three things can happen. I can run the ball, not get it. I can pass the ball completed or pass the ball and it's not complete. All three of these outcomes involve the clock stopping around the same amount of time. The question is, is it first down or fourth down? Two out of those three involve, and I guess you could run and get it too. So let's just say two out of the four outcomes involve it's fourth down, you're punting the ball on the opposite side of the two-minute warning. The other two are I have the ball and I can run off their timeouts. I don't understand why people can't understand why you pass that ball. You're, you have a better chance of getting over three yards because we're not really worried about the outcome. If, for example, Paul, that play was on the other side of the two-minute warning, like 159, Passing the ball becomes a lot riskier because an incomplete pass stops the clock. But you've eliminated that from the equation, the fact that they snapped the ball on the other side of the two-minute warning. They designed a quick, easy little pass play. If you throw it and it gets knocked away, no big deal. It is what it is. It was an unlucky bounce that they bounced it off of the guy's helmet 
it flew a mile into the air and was intercepted. It's a fluke play. It happens. I get it. Mo Hurst tipped the ball halfway down the field and intercepted it himself as well. This type of stuff happens. It's not the end of the world. The defense still had the opportunity at 57 yards away to make the stop, win the game. I don't have an issue with Stefanski. It's not fire Stefanski. It's not all this crazy stuff that people are saying. None of that is the case. Stefanski, I thought, coached a very good game. Seattle, for the most part all day, was on their heels. They weren't really understanding what was going to come. And in this case, when you go back and look at it, Paul, Mari Cooper's open. It was a great pass play in the sense that he had the inside slant. Witherspoon had dropped, into, it had dropped back a step, meaning that he had inside leverage. All P.J. Walker had to do was get the ball past Jamal Adams. And to be fair, Jamal Adams didn't bat the ball down with his arms. It's not like he put his arms up. Everybody's like, you threw it right in Adams. He's throwing the ball. Adams just jumped Herculean style into the ball. It happens. You cannot judge the outcome of the play in sense of like, my, my opinion is once I know the outcome, right? The whole Monday morning quarterback thing. So I have no issue with Stefanski passing the ball in that play. It sucked that it was intercepted. That's the risk to take. You still had 57 yards and a defense that got gouged very quick. That's my take on it. I don't have a problem with it. Well, we both, I've gone with a five. You've gone with a six. We can go with a five. Five was my other number. Okay, there we go. Defense. Oh, ball, 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 ball. Defense. Um, the tail of two half supplies here. At times, I thought our defense played like an eight, and at times, I think our defense played like a four. It was one of those ones where I thought they made a lot of great adjustments. The Browns' offense, obviously, with three turnovers, put them in a weird position at times, given you know the short fields. But when when you needed a play to be made, you know it wasn't there. It wasn't, and that's the thing is is how often we needed a ball batted away. We needed a sack. We needed something to be done. And credit to the Seahawks, right? They they move the ball, but I mean, Paul. They got the ball at the 43-yard line. Tyler Lockett, 7. DK Metcalf, 9. Noah Fant, 27. Incomplete. Defensive penalty, too many men on the field where the Browns tried to timeout. That was weird. Touchdown. That's it. And yes, it was holding on DK Metcalf. I get it. Fine. Whatever. Doesn't matter. They scored a touchdown. You got to be better. They didn't, they didn't even get him into a third down, Paul. It went first down, second down, first down, first down, second down, touchdown. Yeah. Having too many players on the field was a bit weird. Well, the Browns were in the middle of a substitution and Stefanski tried to call a timeout, but they'd already thrown the flag. And then the guy was like, I don't know, it was weird. It, I don't know how much it really would have mattered. It, they were moving through us like a warm knife through butter. But surely in that situation, you should be able to have the right amount of players on the field at any time. Yes. They, I think it was this, it was weird that they were caught in the middle of like, it wasn't 12 minutes, it was 13, right? Because it was a guy kind of hanging out like, hey, what are we doing? He was looking at the sidelines. It was a it was a weird play. I'll just say that much. You know, Martin Emerson and Mo Hurst had some interceptions. Uh, we only had one sack as a team, and that was by Miles Garrett. So defensively, I, I need more. You know, Zadarius Smith, he was wrecking the first few weeks of the season. I haven't seen him the last couple of weeks. Not sure where he's went. I know he's battling a little bit of an injury bug. So are a lot of people. As Emma, as Jack Duffin says, who's currently busy this week, um, Emerson doing well does 
slow down the potential of Greg Newsom getting an extension. No, absolutely. And Greg Newsom left the game, obviously a little bit of an injury. We'll find out more about that, but it was a great read by Emerson. I mean, he had that red. So I'm thinking that they had some advanced scouting on that because man, when he made that break inside of DK, that was a beautiful play. Great play by Martin Emerson. So what we give the defense six. I was thinking five. Overall, they needed to make a stop. Six would have been the play. That final drive to me dropped them an entire point. It was a five. For what this defense has, the quality of players they have, Paul, I need more. I do. That Seattle offense, I get it. 24 points is not bad, but probably seven to 10 too many. That that Seattle okay. offense, they did a good job keeping Kenneth Walker in check for everything but one run um, for the most part. So I, I can't kill him for that. For all the people who say, oh, by the way, Kenneth Walker had 66 yards rushing, 8.2 yards per carry but he got 41 of them. So on seven carries, he had 25 yards and on one carry at 41. Just saying. So, okay. I would say, five. shall we go with special teams? Ooh, now Paul, people may not know this about me, but I tend to enjoy the kickers. Um, Corey Borquez continues to just be an absolute weapon. Three punts long of 59, one inside the 20 average punt of 47.3. Dustin Hopkins flawless. He got the eight points Jack needed. I think he was over six for Jack's bet to win. So Dustin Hopkins is drinking free at the Duffin Cafe. Um, overall, punt returns I thought were solid. Coverage was solid in terms of, you know, not giving up anything big to see to Seattle. Um, you obviously got to meet the Seattle kicker, uh, Jason Myers. But overall, I think he, you know, made everything in terms of field goals. Mike Dixon's one of the top uh, punters in the league. Return coverage, they had nothing big. It was a wash. I mean, I think both teams basically played neutral on the special teams. So I'll give them an eight. They didn't do anything crazy, but they didn't do anything bad. So normally I'd say seven, but in this case, I'm bumping them up to an eight. We just need one pump. We just need one punt return. Like, when was the last time we had a punt return to a touchdown? Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones last year. Oh, okay. There we go. Um, but to your point, Paul, it'd be nice if we got like a 25-yarder. Like, you know, something large. It doesn't have to be necessarily be for a touchdown, but I'd like a big play. However, I would like to say, sadly, that Dustin Hopkins' streak of 50-yard field goals in a game was broken. That was a shame. But, listen... It's disappointing. You could have went out there and took, taken a win from Seattle in Seattle. Hasn't been done by the Browns in years. I think 1989 was the last time we did it. Um, but this is what you're going to get. You know, you got PJ Walker. The Deshaun Watson story continues to just be a strange one, Paul. I mean, I don't think we're going to go too much into it. This has been a long podcast. But overall, the team has the potential. They're a good team. We know they're a good team. It just seems like they're having trouble putting all of it together, right? We haven't had a blowout win. Maybe that comes against Arizona. I don't know. But at the end of the day, the pieces are falling into place. But Paul, the question is, when are they all going to fall completely into place? You know? Um, Ian, I think we're trying to search for the perfect NFL team too much. Probably right. Um, look, Look at all the injuries to quarterbacks and key other players across all the other teams. Yeah, it's been bad. Been bad this week. The reason why we get excited with undrafted free agents is for this reason. It's not your start at 11, which wins the, wins the Super Bowl. It's the depth of your roster. 
That's true. And, you know, you have to win ugly sometimes. We've been lucky with the last two wins, let's be honest. We were unlucky on Sunday. It was a it was more of a classic Brownsy performance. But um I, I know love the, your use of the word Brownsy there. It's amazingly fits. But I'm you know, bad quarterbacks do win Super Bowls. Just not often. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I, I, I totally get what you're saying. However, the Browns have a significant interest in their quarterback, right? And I would understand it if Deshaun Watson was playing and giving us what we would consider a poor performance from him versus, you know, trying to get PJ Walker to play outside of his mind, right? Above his above his level. I get that. Um I do think you're right though. And I think part of that's Duffin, right? We're trying to build that perfect team with salary cap balances and all that other shit. I was, so let's blame Jack for that. He's not here to defend himself. So I love doing that. Um, well, the flip thing is we are four and three. We're a winning team. And we're still favored in Vegas to make the playoffs. There we not, go. I mean, favored in, t- in the sense that it's a minus money line, not like we're going to win the division. Uh, Brown's schedule is we have got Cardinals. Hawk, uh, Ravens, Steelers, I think. Yep. Uh, and then we go to Denver and LA. Yeah, and who would have thought that the uh, the Broncos were going to beat the Chiefs? <laughs> no, it's the NFL's funny. Well, the Browns beat the Niners, and everybody's high. And now the Niners have lost three straight. You know, the Eagles lose to the Jets, and then the Jets barely beat the Giants. It's like there's so much just uncertainty and now the vikings right kirk cousins going down with the achilles injury is just brutal it's you're right paul in the sense that the depth just gets tested and how all the fantasy football players know it because you're drafting guys now and your your irs are filling up and you're trying to figure out who's going to play and jerome fords and pierre strongs like every team's going through something like this you know and like you said the browns go at back back to first first energy stadium cleveland brown stadium Next week against the Cardinals. Paul, they have to win that game. The Cardinals are one and seven and they stink. I don't care if Kyler Murray's playing or Douglas Murray or whoever else is playing. You got to beat the Cardinals. They're not very good. Beat them. Then you got to go to MT Bank with the Ravens. That's going to be it. That's going to be the game right there. We we know what happened the first time they played the Ravens. They got to come back and they got to win that game. If we get beat the shit 28 to 3 by the Ravens again, it's it's blouses. Game set match. So if you can somehow get going where the Cardinals, Ravens, Steelers, and Broncos, as you listed, you got to win some of those. You finish the season, Rams, Jags, Bears, Texans, Jets, Bengals. So there's a lot of wins. They got to get to at least 11 wins. They got to get to 11 wins. Yeah. Looking at that, look at that schedule. And we should be able to beat the Cardinals, the Steelers, the Broncos. The Bears, Bears, the Jets, Jets, the Bengals, and the Texans. Yeah, we'll be favored. uh, Jets, Texans, Bears, Rams, Broncos, Cardinals. That's six wins right there. We should win those games comfortably. That's 10 wins. You got to win two games from the Ravens, Steelers, Jags, Bengals. You got to win two of those, two of those four. All right, and... Any more questions before I go? I've obviously jet lagged. I've only slept 
nine hours and Paul, the fact days. that you're still the fact that you're still up there is absolutely amazing. Shout out to you just from all Browns fans. Cause like, listen, I know obviously we're friends, so this is going to sound a little biased, but a lot of times we get just caught in this losing culture of this team. And, you know, we lose a game and everybody wants to fire the head coach and blah, blah, blah. They run them out of town. It sometimes is okay to just have fun being a Browns fan. So I want to thank you for just being fun, having fun as a Browns fan, making a Browns, being a Browns fan fun. You know, people see this stuff and it adds a little levity to situations where we don't have to take everything so damn seriously. You know, we want our teams to win. We get it. A lot of people invest a lot of time, energy, effort into that football team where it's not always reciprocated, but we don't do it because we want to be best friends with Deshaun Watson, or we want to be best friends with Nick Chubb, right? We do it because it builds community amongst, you know, other people. So, you know, shout out to you making the sacrifice, flying all the way, jet setting from Seattle to London and all this stuff. I mean, it is wild and crazy, but you do it because it's fun. You do it because a lot of people enjoy it and you bring light to a team that sometimes gets lost in the darkness. So shout out to you and thank you for that. Well, my reply to you is thank you to everyone that listens to the show and all the Browns fans that don't listen to the show, but it's always great to catch up with them and always great to have a drink. I did enjoy the Vegas bomb, which was a, oh Jesus, I think it was a peach crown Royale. It's crown, peach, and a uh, thing of Red Bull. So it's yeah, Red lovely. Bull, peach snaps, and crown. You can put crown apple too. It sucks even worse. There's plenty of ways to make a Vegas bomb, so please don't tweet me all the different recipes. I understand. It's basically Red Bull and a bunch of sweet shit. I get it. I loved it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great. And, you know, I love being part of the Browns community. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to potentially going out to see the Browns versus the Bengals my next game. Maybe I'll join you. We'll see if I can do something. Oh, that'd be nice. So, all right, jo- all right, buddy. Um, shout out to everybody as well for following, listening. If you have any comments or you have questions, tweet them to us. We'll try to build them in here, but you're going to start getting back to some regular scheduled programming here soon. So on that note, go Browns, beat oh, the Cardinals. Oh, that was one of someone's feedback. Actually, we don't have enough shows. They want more shows. We'll get them. We're, 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 cha- we're going to do that. So we just got to get Duffin off his little Disney hangover. All right. Go Browns. Go Browns. <laughs>